Well, today we come to the final message and perhaps the most important message in our series called Real Christmas. You know, so much of Christmas isn't real. It's plastic and it's pretend. So in this message, we've been looking at things that are real related to the Christmas story. We've, in the first message, talked about real people, that the people of the Christmas story were real historical people. We looked at the genealogy of Jesus to show that just as surely as Abraham and David and folks like that were real historical people in the lineage of Jesus, so too was Jesus a real person. And then we looked at real love. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, This is love, not that, God, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for sin. That's real love. Today I want to talk to you about real God. Real God. Jesus was more than just a good man. He was more than a good teacher. He was more than just a good example. He really was, the Bible will show us, He really was and is God in flesh. He really was and is 100% God and 100% man. Now, I want to ask you a question to kind of jump into the study today. Have you heard about the Christmas star that's supposed to appear tomorrow night? How many... Raise your hand. All right. Most everybody here, I can't see the LC, of course, but I bet your hands are up there. And those watching online, uh, I bet perhaps a lot of you are going to tune in as well. In case you're not sure what we're talking about, Jupiter and Saturn are the two largest planets in our solar system. And they will align tomorrow night in the night sky in what the astronomers call the Great Conjunction. It also has been referred to as the Christmas star because of when it is occurring. As I've done a little research into this, now the planets of course are still going to be millions of miles apart, but when they align and line up tomorrow night, it will appear almost as if one star. Let me show you the next slide for those here in the sanctuary and, and over in the LC. The next slide kind of shows how these two planets, Saturn and Jupiter, come together. If y'all can go ahead and advance to that next. There you go. It seems appropriate that this year of all years, that we have the Christmas star. This year of all years, we have this amazing celestial event occurring in the skies. Forbes calls it a once in ten lifetime Christmas event. Not a once in a lifetime, but once in ten lifetimes Christmas event. And the reason for that is, the last time Saturn and Jupiter orbited so closely as they will tomorrow night was in the year 1226. How many were alive in 1226? Twelve twenty, almost 800 years ago, those planets aligned much like they will tomorrow night. These titanic orbs will once again appear in the heavens aligned together only one-tenth of a degree apart. Again, millions of miles separate them, but as far as their alignment, they will be only one-tenth of a degree apart, which they say is the thickness of a dime held at arm's length. Some have speculated that this celestial event that we'll see tomorrow night could actually be the source of the Bethlehem star in the Nativity story. Now, let's just read the Scripture for a moment and kind of compare it to what we read in Scripture. Because what you're going to see tomorrow night is going to be quite spectacular. Hopefully the, the, the clouds will not get in the way. Matthew chapter 2, let me just show you what the Scripture says. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, let me just pause there for a moment. You know this, but let me make sure that I emphasize to you that the Magi did not come to the manger when the shepherds did. I know every Christmas place shows it that way, but that's not biblical. We three kings didn't come and see Jesus uh, there at the manger. In fact, it says a little later in the text that the Magi came to the house, not to the manger. And it says that they came to see the child, not the baby. It could be that they came at least a couple of months after the birth of Jesus. Or it could be that, it, that they came after around, or right up to two years after the birth of Jesus. Somewhere in that time frame, two months to two years. Now why do you say two years? Because Herod in Bethlehem had all the little boys killed who were two years of age and younger. So it may be that the Magi came as late as almost two years after his birth. But whenever they came, here's what happened. Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, now watch this, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We see his star in the east and have come to worship him. We see his star. And we've come to worship him. Now, I was looking in my study Bible the other day, and I found this note that I want to put on the screen for those of you who are in in the, the building. It says at the bottom of the study note regarding the word star, it says probably not an ordinary star, planet, or comet, though some scholars have identified it with the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. That was in my Bible study notes. So it is at least plausible, it is at least possible that what you're going to see tomorrow night is something similar to what the Magi saw on that first Christmas. I don't know if it is or isn't. Now, I, let me tell you something. God is God and He can do it any way He wants to. And if He wanted to create a special, unique star for Bethlehem, He could have done that and that might be what He did. But at the very least, tomorrow night, we're going to see the conjunction of these planets that would be at least something similar possibly to what the Magi saw. And I find that fascinating that we have the opportunity tomorrow night to see something at least that hasn't been seen since 1226 and maybe was something that was seen at least similar to the Magi. Now, as fascinating as all that is, I want to show you something even more fascinating in the text. It's found right there in chapter 2, verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Look what it says. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now the Magi were probably astrologers who traveled all the way either from Persia or southern Arabia. And in verse 2 it says why they traveled there. Verse 2 says, we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Why would you worship a baby? And the Bible doesn't say we saw his star and we came to see him. The Magi said we saw his star and we have come to worship him. Why would you worship a baby? And why would you travel thousands of miles and probably many months to get there to worship him? And why would you call this baby a king? Unless, 
unless this was no ordinary baby, unless there was something different, uniquely different about this baby. And indeed, what Matthew is going to do as he writes his gospel, this gospel, the story of Jesus, Matthew is going to make the case that Jesus was not just a baby, but he was God in flesh. He really was God laying in that manger. And what I want to do in this message today is just walk through and look at the various places throughout the, the book of Matthew and one or two other places that where it really makes the case where the Bible really does emphasize that Jesus was more than a baby. He really was God. So let's look back in chapter 1. Let's start there, Matthew chapter 1, beginning of verse 18, because that's where we began, the New Testament begins, to explain the birth of Jesus Christ. So we open our Bibles to the very first page of the New Testament, and this is how the birth of Jesus Christ is explained. The miracle of his birth, if you will. This is how, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they consummated the marriage, she was found to be with child, watch this, through the Holy Spirit. That's the first clue, isn't it? There's the first hint that this was more than just a baby born in Bethlehem. The Bible says in verse 18 that Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That's not the, the only time we will see that. So we come to verse 19 and we read, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her, public, uh, to, expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He said, wait a minute, I didn't think they were married yet. They weren't. They were engaged. Well, why are they getting a divorce? Because in that day, the proposal was just as binding as if you got married. You, you couldn't, I, I, I don't know that I've ever told you this, and, and I just remembered it recently when Lisa and I were talking. When Lisa and I were engaged, I broke up with her. I, I, didn't really, I, I remember breaking up with her, but I thought it was when we were dating. But she tells me it's when we were engaged. She would know, right. Right. I broke up, I remember very clearly, sitting on the campus of Carson Newman University, sitting on the bench, and I got cold feet, and I broke up with Lisa Hosier. Apparently, we were engaged. <laughs> I, I, I broke up with her for three days, by the way. She thankfully took me back at the end of three days when I came with weeping and mourning and wearing sackcloth. But in that day, you couldn't do that. In that day, you couldn't say, you know what, I, I want to call it off. In that day, in order to get unengaged, you had to get a divorce. And so Joseph doesn't believe Mary's explanation. And so in verse 19, because Joseph was a, her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, parentheses, he did not believe what she was telling him. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, he had given this a good bit of thought, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is, and here we see it again, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There we have again an indication. This is more than just a baby. 
This is more than just a baby in Bethlehem. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, this was so far beyond human reasoning that an angel had to, from God had to be sent to Joseph to explain what was happening. But I really like verse 21. The angel said, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Here's another indication that this is more than just a baby. That there's something different about this baby that's going to be born. Not only is it conceived by the Holy Spirit, but the angel said, now, now make sure you get this part. Make sure you're taking notes. Are you taking notes? Okay, make sure you get this. Here's what you need to do. She's going to give birth, but you're going to name him. Alright, and that was kind of the custom in that day anyway. But, but, when you name him, you don't get to pick out the name. Don't call him Joseph Jr. When you name him, you call him Jesus. And here's the reason. Because he will save his people from their sins. There, there's another hint, isn't it? This is more than just a baby. There's something unique about this one being born. You give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now let me pause there for just a moment at that verse. Can I say to you today, those watching online and those watching in the LC, can I say to you very clearly and plainly, Jesus didn't come to help people save themselves. Some people have that mistaken idea that, that the reason that Jesus kind of helps you save yourself, and that's why he came. No, Jesus came to be our Savior. He came because we can't save ourselves from the penalty of sin. We can't even save ourselves from the power of sin. We are helpless to save ourselves. We desperately needed a Savior. And His name was an indication of that. Look at this on the screen. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word or the Hebrew name Joshua. Jehoshua. Jesus. And it means salvation is from yourself. No. Jesus means salvation is from God. That's what his name means. Or to shorten it, it means God saves. So every time you say the name Jesus, you're indicating the reason that he came. Because God saved. Well, well pastor, why do we need a savior anyway? Let me explain it to you this way. The Bible says that God is a perfect God and heaven is a perfect place. Would you agree with that? God is a perfect God and heaven is a perfect place. Uh, therefore, heaven is going to be a place where there is no sin, there are no mistakes, there are no inconsistencies. Heaven is a perfect place because there is a perfect God who lives there. And because of that, watch this, only perfect people get to live there. You see, if God let imperfect people into heaven, then it wouldn't be perfect anymore. That means I don't stand a chance in a million of getting there on my own effort, and neither do you. I don't know about you, I lost my chance at perfection a long time ago. Yesterday we had, uh, I think it was yesterday, we had the funeral for Evelyn McAllister who passed away this week. And her favorite verse in the Bible was Isaiah 61, verse 10, that talks about His robe of righteousness, that we are clothed in His robe 
of righteousness. I am not clothed in my robe of perfection. I am clothed in His robe of righteousness when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Someone explained it to us, uh, explained it to me this way. said, number one, God formed us. Number two, sin deformed us. But number three, Jesus transforms us. That's why it says in verse 21, look at the text. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from, watch this last two words, from their sins. That's why Jesus was born. We need someone to rescue us. And the only one who can do that is the one who came from heaven. Now, all of that is kind of introductory to get us to verses 22 and 23. This is where I want to camp out for the remaining, remaining time. Verse 22 says this, All this took place, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And the prophet here that Matthew is referring back to is the prophet Isaiah. 700, 800 years before Jesus was born, we'll call it 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied something about this baby. It's found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and Matthew quotes it for us in verse 23. And here was the prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born. Verse 23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now don't miss the hope that's found in, those, in that verse. Say these words with me. God with us. Would you say that with me? God with us. Do you understand the hope that is found in those three words? That you and I have the opportunity to have a relationship with God. And because He is Emmanuel, He is not just God that's in heaven, but He is God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. You see, the foundational miraculous truth that we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus was God in the skin of man. Let me say that one more time. Jesus was God in the skin of man. That's exactly what John said in John 1.14 when he said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that for a moment. That the one who was and is divine became a man. The one who created everything was created in a woman's womb. The one who was invisible took on a visible body. Colossians 1.15, Paul said it this way, He is the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews chapter 1 said in verse 3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me and hear me well. Jesus was not just made in the image of God, nor was He simply a reflection of who God is. Jesus was God in the skin of man. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 9, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because He was God in the skin of man. And that's why Matthew says... <clears throat> Call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, it's interesting how he got that name. 
I want you to compare two verses with me. I want you to look at verse 21, and I want you to compare it to verse 23. In verse 21, it says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Joseph, make sure you give him the name Jesus. All right? So we know how he got that name. Look at verse 23. How did he get the name Emmanuel? The Bible says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, my question when I'm reading that is, who were they? Who are, it says they will call him Emmanuel. So who is, who are, are they? Here's my guess. They are the people he encountered when he walked on this earth and ministered to people. The people he helped, the people that he healed, the people that he taught, the people who followed him, the people who found in him what they'd been missing all of their lives. That's the they who call him God with us, Emmanuel. Some of them had names like Zacchaeus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Peter. Some of them did not have names in the New Testament, but they did have a description. We refer to them as Jairus' daughter or the ten lepers or the woman with the issue of blood or the man who was lame for 38 years. We don't know who they are for sure, but they sure knew who he was and they called him Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Emmanuel is not just a name. It really is a description. And the foundation of the Christmas story and the heart of the gospel is this. God is with us. It's interesting that you don't just see this at the beginning of his life. You see this same idea at the end of his life. Go with me to Mark chapter, over one book to the right. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verse 39. <clears throat> this is referring to the death of Jesus on the cross. And we see in verse 39... And when the centurion, that is the Roman soldier who was participating in the, in the crucifixion, the execution of Jesus, the centurion was there participating in this. And when the centurion, the Roman soldier who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Surely this man... Son of God. You see, Christmas is a reminder that God literally came into our world. And that's good news for all of us, isn't it? So here's my two points I want to give you today. And these are just points of application and they will be brief. But I want to make two points of application based on this idea that Jesus was more than just a baby born in Bethlehem. That He really is God with us. That just like there are real people in the Christmas story, and there's a real love demonstrated at Christmas, there is a real God who was born in Bethlehem. And that real God came in the flesh of men like you and I, women. They called Him Emmanuel. God with us. So, with all of that in mind... I want to make two points of application. Here's the first one. You matter to God. 
You matter to God. That's the reason Jesus came into our world. You matter to God. And I say to you watching online, your problems matter to God. Your pain matters to God. Your potential matters to God. And when you need someone to go to who totally could understand what you're going through, you can go to God because He's not God in heaven. He is God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. You matter to Him. You matter so much that that's what Christmas was all about. He came to where you and I live. Because you matter to God. Here's the second point of application. Number two. God has a special gift for you this Christmas. God has a special... Now, a lot of you, those listening online, those in the Life Center, those here, a lot of you already have received that gift, but I'm convinced there are some of you here today or some of you listening online, and you haven't received that gift. Now, if I told you that I had a gift for you, and that gift will heal your deepest hurts, and will forgive every sin you've ever committed. And that gift will help you understand your purpose in life. And that gift will give you joy and peace. And that gift will provide you an eternal home in heaven. If I told you I had a gift like that, would you be interested in a gift like that? So here's my question. If you've not yet received that gift, how many more Christmases are you going to go through and keep turning down the gift that Jesus has to give you. This could be your moment where you say, I received the gift of salvation. I received the gift God wants to give me. Several years ago, I, I went out with some friends. Lisa and I went out with some friends and we were, went out to eat in downtown Greenville. As we came out of a restaurant, we walked out of the restaurant, and there was a lady coming down the sidewalk, and, and she walked up, and she offered us free tickets to the Greenville Symphony Christmas Celebration. Now, normally, people don't walk up and, and offer me free tickets to the Greenville Symphony Christmas Celebration, so I was skeptical, and, and everybody else was skeptical, I think, in our party. And, and she had the tickets in her hand. The show was in about 30, 35 minutes. You still have time to go, and they're yours if you want them, and they're free. And I looked at the tickets, they looked real, $35 a ticket. They, they were good seats. They were down on the bottom floor, halfway back. And we kind of looked at each other, hesitating, as she held out these four free tickets to the Greenville Symphony Christmas Celebration. Great seats. And we debated what we should do. We debated if this was legit. We debated if we wanted to go. We had not planned to go to the Greenville Symphony that night. We had just gone out to eat. Finally, we accepted them, and suddenly our evening changed. We literally walked from there down to the Peace Center, and we watched the Greenville Symphony Christmas celebration that night because we decided to accept the tickets that somebody else had paid for. And it really changed our evening when we accepted the tickets somebody else paid for when are you going to do that with Jesus when are you going to accept what he's already paid for you see the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life is the gift he wants to give you 
And he's already paid for it. But you have to make the decision. In the Life Center, you have to make the decision. Those watching online, you have to make the decision to receive the gift he wants to give you. Here's what I want to do. I want to read four scriptures to you in closing, but I want you to bow your head. And please, those watching online, don't turn it off. Just listen to these four scriptures. Those in the Life Center, just listen to these four scriptures about this gift. In Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Revelation 22.17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who, who hears say, Come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Today could mark that day when you receive that gift. Would you be willing to do that right now? Every head bowed, every eye closed. You matter to God. You matter so much that when He literally was born in Bethlehem, God with skin on Him. God in the skin of man. You matter so much that He went to a cross. And He laid those arms out and they nailed them to a cross and they nailed His feet to a cross And the Bible says He did that for your sin and for mine. And the Roman soldier stood there and looked at Him and said, Surely, this had to be the Son of God. That's more than just a man. That's the Son of God. And He did all of that because there is this gift that He has for anybody who would like to receive it. So today I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you pray this prayer with me? Pray it from your heart. Just let the words come from your heart. Say this to the Lord. Dear God, I I don't want to let another Christmas pass without accepting your gift to me. Thank you for coming to earth so I could know what you're like. I'm amazed that you would want a relationship with someone like me. Please help me to know the purpose that you've put me on earth for. I know I've done a lot of things wrong and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and I have received the gift of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus. From this day forward, I want to live my life for you. From this day forward, I will thank you for what you've done for me. And I accept it by faith. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Every head still bowed. I can only see those here in this sanctuary, but if you prayed that prayer with me, would you just raise your hand and I can see and rejoice? That's, I won't embarrass you. Just hold it up for just a moment.
All right, for those in the Life Center, those here, those watching online, you can go online at mountairybaptist.com and you can message me there. You can send me an email, let me know that you've prayed to receive Christ. Call the church office, let us know. We want to help you take that next step in your relationship with the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful for your goodness, for your grace. We're grateful that Jesus came into our world. And in this crazy world of 2020, we claim again, God is with us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.